Thank you very much, Luke. And uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, so glad that you are here. Today's going to be a little bit different. Uh, we are going to be looking at deeply and intensely at the Lord's Supper and seeing how Jesus is in it. But for us to do that, we're going to end up going and look at the roots of the Lord's Supper. And so as I worked this week, it was very, very detailed. And so you're going to find I am tied to my notes this week. Normally, they're just kind of there on the side just in case. Today, no, they're a uh, must-have. So you'll have to forgive me for uh, reading uh, most of this. But honestly, I, I am really, really excited uh, to get to continue the history series by looking at this sacrament of communion and seeing how it points to Jesus. Um, if you're a first-time guest, uh, we celebrate uh, communion almost every Sunday here at Riverwood. Some people call it communion. Uh, some call it the Lord's Supper. Some think of it as the Eucharist. And I've even heard some people call it the breaking of bread. But no matter what phrase you use, It refers to this practice of taking bread and wine and incorporating it into your worship. Now, usually when a church partakes of communion, the pastor will talk about how the bread is the body of Jesus and the wine is his blood. Now, I knew one pastor, actually worked with him. He refused to include communion in the Sunday worship experience of his church because he thought that people who didn't follow Jesus would be grossed out at the idea of eating someone's flesh and drinking someone's blood. I obviously disagree with the pastor's choice of not celebrating communion on Sundays, but he is right about one thing. You stop to think about it, it is kind of gross. Eating flesh, drinking blood? I mean, what kind of religion is Christianity? It sounds like a horror movie. Where in the world does this practice come from? That's what we're going to learn today. We're going to go back in time to discover the root to the practice of eating bread and drinking wine as part of Christian worship. And by doing so, I believe we are also going to discover yet again how all of the Bible points to Jesus. So Father, I just pray as we turn to the scriptures right now, as we open it up, that you would be the one who speaks to us. Uh, Father, I pray that this would be less about my notes and my preparation, and this would be more about how you would draw each of us to see Jesus in the midst of the Lord's Supper and communion and to understand the roots of it and see how you have been guiding history all of this time. So, Father, would you just help each of us to, today to understand something new, to, to gain something? But I pray, Father, this would not just be a head knowledge thing, that this would be a heart knowledge thing, that you would really penetrate and, and help us go from hearing some of these facts and, and let it go from the head down to the heart, and each of us just walk out of here in awe of you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so if you brought a Bible or you've got a Bible app, open it up to Luke chapter 22, Luke 22. If you did not bring a Bible, I do have the scripture on the screen for you. However, I'm going to encourage you, if you have a smartphone, download a Bible app. There are several free ones out there. We would love for you to get it, and that way you always have the Bible with you. If you're more like me and you want to go retro, old-fashioned, get a paper Bible. If you don't have one, uh, we've got two different translations on the back table. Just catch me afterwards. I would love to get you connected to the one that's going to really help you in following Jesus. But Luke 22, Luke is the second book of the New Testament, and we're going to start in verse 7 today. Luke 22, verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, 
Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. Well, they said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it, just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. In the time of Jesus, the Jewish people celebrated seven feasts throughout the year. The first one was called Passover. It kicked off a week-long celebration called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And it was also the start of the new year for the Jewish people. But where did this Passover come from? If you've been part of Riverwood for a while, you might remember that this past April, we looked at the Passover. But because today we come to this topic of the Lord's Supper, we are going to see how it was instituted out of the Passover meal. So that bears us to go back to that first Passover and look at it yet again. So I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. So just head all the way to Genesis and make your way back to Exodus. As you're turning there, let me set the stage. The ancient Jews uh, called the Israelites at this time, they were in slavery in Egypt. God sent Moses along with his brother Aaron to bring the people out. But when Moses and Aaron asked the Pharaoh of Egypt to release the people, the Pharaoh refused. Well, this ushered in 10 plagues that afflicted Egypt one at a time. The plagues were things like all the water turning to blood or various pests or animals like flies or or frogs covering the land. Or another time, there was complete and utter darkness that descended upon the land. Well, these plagues made life miserable for the Egyptians. And yet, after each plague, the Pharaoh refused to release the Israelites. And so God sent a tenth plague, the death of the firstborn. To protect the Israelites from this plague, God gave instructions to Moses to give to the people, knowing that after this plague, Pharaoh would relent and let the people go. And that's where we find it, starting in Exodus 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. Skip down to verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning... You shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it. With your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. 
For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. And so every year after this event in history, the Israelites, the Jewish people, would celebrate the Passover, this night that God passed over them, allowing their firstborns to live, and that then thus allowed them to be freed from slavery. Well, Jesus and his disciples, all being Jews, would have celebrated this feast ever since they were little kids. This means they would have known the words that were recited as part of the feast. They'd have known the songs. They knew this feast in and out. It was the most significant feast of all of the seven feasts the Jews kept. Well, today we are going to look at this Passover feast itself. That would explain the table that's in front of me. And as we look at this feast, we're going to see the origin of the Lord's Supper, also known as communion, and see how it points to Jesus like all of the biblical narrative. Now, I want to say this. Since the time of Jesus, many additional traditions have become part of the Jewish Passover. Today, I'm going to do my best to walk you through the feast as well as we know that Jesus would have taken it with his disciples. Now, I can guarantee I'm going to get some things wrong, all right? I was not able to get my time machine finished this week so that I could go back and see exactly how they did it, all right? But despite that, we do have some ideas of how Jesus' Passover meal would have looked. A anyone here done a, a Passover Seder? Okay, I see a few hands, all right? So you're going to notice that there's a few things that aren't here. There were many traditions that had been added later. I have done the Passover Seder a couple of times, and actually, when I started studying this week, I was very disappointed because some of my favorite things in it aren't included. And yet, I think this will still be powerful as you see how Jesus and his disciples would have done it as we try and walk through Luke 22. So with that, let me begin. In Jesus' day, when the guests would arrive, the servant or the lowest person in the household would wash the feet of those who arrived. It was considered a courtesy. People wore only sandals in that day, so their feet would be exposed to dust and animal droppings throughout the town. But as we read the biblical record, it seems that Jesus and his disciples just showed up in this upper room and sat down at the table. No one washed their feet at the beginning of the meal. Now, those of you who are familiar with the scriptures, you're thinking, no, wait a second, Aaron. In John 13, Jesus washes their feet, and you're right. But John 13 says that he washed it after the meal portion of the Passover. And this would have been shocking because at a normal Passover, you are arranged at the table from highest in rank down to lowest. So usually the father, then his wife, and then the children around. And so for Jesus and his disciples, he would have been at the head of the table. And so for him to take off his outer garment and to come around and wash each of their feet at the table would have been shocking. But he was showing them servant leadership in action. True leaders aren't afraid to serve others and put others first. 
And so there was a foot washing at Jesus' Passover. It just didn't happen at the beginning of the meal like normal. It happened after the meal. So they've all arrived at this upper room. To set the stage, let me read the next couple of verses from Luke 22. If you still are open there to to Luke 22, we're going to pick it up in verse 14. And when the hour came, he, Jesus, reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Jesus and his disciples have gathered in this upper room. But notice it says that they reclined at the table. Most first century tables, they were only about 18 inches off the ground. So you didn't sit at it in a normal chair. You usually would kind of recline on your elbows on pillows around. But if you're astute, you might be thinking, well, wait a second, Aaron. You just read from Exodus, and they had to eat it standing up. They had to have their belts on, their sandals on, staff in hand, and eat in haste. And yet Jesus and his disciples are reclined. Why? Well, that's because slaves stand. Free people sit. So then Jesus next says, I've desired to eat this particular Passover with you before I suffer. And so that's when he really begins this Passover Seder. By the way, the word Seder simply means order. And they began to go through an order in this meal. Now, in a modern Seder, they would begin with the lighting of the candles. And this is where the mom or the most prominent female of the house would light the candles and would say something like this. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who has set us apart by his word and in whose name we light the festival of lights. Now, I don't think that Jesus and the disciples particularly did this. This is before electricity, so they would have had to use candles. You always celebrated this meal after sundown. And so they would have had to light the candles. Maybe there was a portion in the ceremony, but there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of record that they actually did. But whether they did or not, probably what happened next was a ceremonial hand washing. This is what the Jews would do every single year, I mean, before every single meal, is they would do this ceremonial hand washing before they would eat. Now, there was some question whether or not that they actually did it here or if they waited before the food came. In most modern-day seders, they actually wait until the food is served. There's a few things that take place before the food comes. But we believe, at least some of the scholars I read this week, think that Jesus and his disciples washed their hands at this point early on in the meal. I mean, this early in the feast. Because what happened next leads you to the four cups. These four cups of wine each symbolize something different. These four cups represent the four promises of God that he made back in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 7, which says, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And so the first cup is from that first uh, promise that I will bring you out. It is called the cup of sanctification. 
If a family was wealthy, each person would have four cups in front of them. But for Jesus and his disciples, they probably only had four cups in totality. Or even more likely, they had one cup that they just filled four times and then they passed around. They weren't nearly as worried about sanitary conditions like we are. But what would have happened is Jesus would have taken the first cup and he would have held it up, the cup of sanctification, and said, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, who has created the fruit of the vine. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, who has kept us alive, sustained us, and enabled us to enjoy this season. But then, before we pass the cup, Jesus did this. Luke 22, verses 17 and 18. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And so Jesus then passes it to his disciples who would pass it around the table, but he himself did not partake because he had not brought the people out yet. And so Jesus did not drink any of the wine that night. Next, Jesus would have picked up the karpas. The karpas refers to a bitter herb, as you heard back in Exodus 12. This was dipped into a bowl of salt water. And yes, this really is salt water. Some people saw me pour salt into it, so anyone who wants to come up and drink it later may. But Jesus would have taken the karpas, which represents life, some sort of, of uh, vegetable. In today's modern satyrs, they use uh, um, parsley. But uh, back then, it seems that they would have used like lettuce, or in this case, celery, which I brought. But they would dip it in, and as he would dip it, he would say this. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who creates the fruit of the earth. You see, the vegetable represents life. It's green. It was living until I ripped it off. And then, you, but why do you dip it in salt water? Because the life of the Israelites was miserable in Egypt. It was filled with tears. And so they dip into the salt water to remind them how hard life was, and then they would partake of it together. Then they would, then they would eat it together and come to the second cup. This second cup is called the cup of deliverance. Jesus would either pour the wine or hold it up, but they would not drink it yet. Uh, this second cup refers to that second promise that God says, I will deliver you from slavery. But instead of drinking it right away, they would begin to retell the Passover story. Modern day Passovers use the four questions to begin the telling of the story. Now, we don't know if Jesus and his disciples actually did these four questions. I found one source that thinks that they actually did three questions, but other things that kind of questioned whether there were any questions that they answered at all. But it's most likely that at this point in the meal, they would be telling the story from Exodus or even reciting it from memory. The participants in modern-day Passovers dip their fingers in that second cup ten times. And when they do, they take it out and they put a drop on their plate. And each time they do, they say the name of one of the ten plagues with each one, remembering all that God did. And they drop these onto the plate out of that second cup. Then, after doing so, um, they, they would tell the story, and then Jesus would hold up that cup and he would again say, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who creates the fruit of the earth. And then they would partake. After this cup, the lamb would then be brought out and served. There would be some other food included with it as well. 
For the ancient Jews, this part was the centerpiece of the Passover. I mean, think about it. You've just heard the story of a lamb being killed, of its blood being put on the doorpost, and now you're eating lamb. Now, interestingly enough, modern-day satyrs do not include lamb. They usually have a shank bone like this to represent the lamb. But after AD 7, I'm sorry, after 70 AD, after the temple was destroyed, they no longer served lamb because the lambs could not be sacrificed in the temple. And thus, eating lamb in the Passover meal faded and passed away. But Jesus and his disciples most definitely would have enjoyed lamb. And if it was a gyro with the sauce, oh, that, yeah, that'd be awesome. During the meal, they would also serve unleavened bread. But rather than just pass it around, Jesus did something a little different. He raised it up and probably said something like this. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with your commandments and commanded us to eat unleavened bread. But then he did something shocking. Look at it in Luke 22, verse 19. And he, Jesus, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And then gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, if you've been a part of church for long, ever participated in communion, you have probably heard that phrase. It is repeated almost every time a church partakes of communion together. But to the disciples, this was the first time they have ever heard this. He is absolutely blowing up the Passover meal, showing them how this ancient feast that God commanded all the way back at the time of Moses and how it points to him. In a few moments, we are going to partake of this bread. But before we do, there's a few other things that took place that continue to alter the meaning of the Passover for Jesus' disciples. As I've already pointed out, John 13 indicates that Jesus then got up from the meal and began to wash the feet of his disciples. So as if the breaking of this bread and being told that it's his body weren't troubling enough, this act of washing their feet would have really put them on edge. I, I can imagine they're all looking at each other thinking, what is he doing? Then, as Jesus finished washing their feet, he has their complete attention. And he begins a very long discourse. This, too, was not a normal part of the Passover. So again, the disciples are realizing something is going on. And that's when Jesus turns to the third cup. This third cup is called the cup of redemption. Again, God said through Moses in Exodus 6.6, 6, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. But Jesus takes this redemption cup and redefines it. Luke twenty-two twenty, And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus is helping the disciples see that this cup wasn't just about the redemption of the Israelites out of Egypt. But it's about the redemption of humanity out of sin. And that redemption 
That new covenant comes through his blood, which was going to be shed on the cross less than 24 hours later. That's why right now, I want to invite you to enter into this meal. I want you to imagine taking the broken bread from Jesus. Imagine him saying, this is my body. Take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. And then I want you to take that bread and I want you to dip it in the third cup, not the first, second, or fourth, in the third cup, the cup of redemption. And I want you to dip it in there, realizing that that is what establishes our freedom from sin. So here's how we're going to do this. We're going to exit out this side on this side, and this side you're going to exit out that direction. The ushers are going to release you by rows. I'm going to ask that you just come around, you take the bread, dip it in the cup, and then you can go back up the center aisle, back to your row. As we do this, normally at Riverwood, we often will sing. Today we're not going to, because I believe that Jesus would have sat there and handed this out. His disciples would have been wondering, what is going on? And I want us to just spend that moment. Linnell's going to quietly play, but I want us to just spend this time talking to God and thinking about what took place in that upper room as well as what took place upon that cross. If you are not a follower of Jesus and you're here today, I want you to know I am so glad you're here. We've actually started Riverwood Church for you. This, though, is about Jesus and what he did on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins. If you are not making that the center of your life, I'm just going to ask that you so politely and respectfully not get up and come to this table. No one here is going to judge you. Some of the people in this room that you're going to see get up have been on the very same spiritual journey that you are on right now. There was a time in their life when they did not know Jesus. And then they began to understand the story and they've made this the central part of who they are. And so the most important thing for you today is not whether or not you take this bread and, and put it, dip it into this cup, what matters for you is this story real? Or what we're talking about today, is it just a fictional story, a nice fairy tale to make people feel nice and warm fuzzy? Or did it really happen? That's what you need to wrestle with. So rather than get up and come to this table, I'm going to invite you to remain seated and you just talk to God and you ask him, is it true? Because if it's true, it changes everything. And I want you to find that life in Jesus, because he invites you in. These elements that we partake remind us of his great sacrifice, that he gave of his life for you, that his body was broken, his blood was shed. That is why we do this in remembrance of him. If any of you are gluten-free, we do have gluten-free uh, here on the side, and if you so desire so that yours does not go into the cup that mixed with the other gluten, I will allow you to use one of the other cups and just pretend it's the third cup. But otherwise, I invite you, imagine what it was like for these disciples. They've celebrated this Passover meal since they were little kids. They know the story. They know the routine. This is part of their worship. And suddenly Jesus blows the whole thing up and helps them see it's all about him. So let us come to partake of the broken bread, his body, to dip it in the cup of redemption and worship him right now. Let's do this in remembrance of him. Heavenly Father, I realize that there are some people here 
might not be doing so great emotionally. There might be a, a relationship issue happening. Could be something with their job. Could be just uh, wrestling with an addiction. Maybe it's some pain. Maybe there's just some spiritual doubts and questions going on. And God, right now, they don't feel like you're, you're in control. Life feels very out of control, and they're wondering where you are. And so I want to say thank you for the story of the Passover. Because it is so evident that you are sovereign, you are in control. That if you could prophesy the coming of your Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God, who would come and be that Passover lamb whose blood was shed so that you would pass over us and we could come out of slavery to sin into freedom. And that story was written a couple thousand years before your son ever set foot on this earth. This shows you are in control, that you have a big vision of this world. So God, we just come before you and we just confess that we have limited vision. We're so short-sighted. All we can see right now is the pain and the trial and the struggle of today. So God, I pray that as we've looked at, at Jesus in this Lord's Supper, we lift our hearts and our minds to you. That we would not set our hearts on things of this earth, but we would set our hearts on things above. Because that is where you dwell. Your ways are so much higher than ours. Your thoughts are so much higher than ours. So God, would you redeem our thoughts? Would you redeem our ways to make us more and more like Christ? So God, I thank you for this holy moment to partake of this. Thank you that a couple thousand years ago, Jesus sat in an upper room with 12 disciples who thought they were just celebrating another Passover. And yet Jesus did this. And not only did he re-explain it, he then saw it through. That Within just less than 24 hours after these events took place, his back was ripped to shreds, a crown of thorns was jammed on his head, nails pierced his wrists and his feet and he was hung on a cross to be mocked and yet God it's through his death we find life and so that is why today we come to you despite any pain despite any struggle we are facing and we praise you we come to you we ask that you just continue to help us to trust you it's in Jesus name we pray amen the remarkable thing, though, is the feast wasn't done. If you remember, there's four cups. This fourth cup is tied to that fourth promise that God would take his people and make them his own, and he would be their God. And because God took them out of Egypt and made them his, the people respond with praise. That is why this fourth cup is called the cup of praise. In a modern-day Seder, they, would off, they often uh, conclude with Psalm 136, which just repeatedly talks about how we should give thanks to God for his faithful love endures forever. It's possible that Jesus and his disciples did that. Perhaps they would have read or sang another psalm. But what we do know is that Matthew 26.30 tells us that they sang a hymn before going out to the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane. Even though the Passover is about the death of all these firstborns, for the Jews, it truly is a celebration because it showed the power of their God to redeem them out of slavery. And that is why today we should end with praise because it, this Lord's Supper reveals the power of our God to redeem us and call us out of slavery to sin.
And so because of what Jesus has done, we should sing. And so I want us to stand and I want us to sing some modern hymns to God in praise for who he is and what he has done. <laughs>